Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. If you're listening to this episode when it's released, you'll know it's February, which is American Heart Health Month. So today we're back talking to Dr. Scott Minton about heart health and what are the most effective lifestyle changes you can make to keep your heart in tip-top shape. Dr. Minton has over a decade of experience as a professor of biological sciences at Vanguard University of Southern California, has worked as a field laboratory and clinical researcher, and has provided nutrition consulting services to medical clinics. He holds both a master's and PhD degree in resource ecology from the University of Michigan and holds a certification in health and fitness from the American College of Sports Medicine, and currently is the scientific advisor for Nordic Naturals. In this episode, Scott and I discuss how the heart works, what can cause a dysfunctional heart, and best of all, what lifestyle factors to focus on that are the most effective in keeping your heart running optimally. And don't worry, we're not going to tell you to limit the salt and send you on your merry way. Quite the contrary, actually. We also discuss what specific supplements can support your heart, and remember what supports your heart also helps the rest of your body. So let's learn how we can support the organ that works the hardest for us each day. And in Scott's words, never takes a day off. Hello everyone. And we are so happy today to welcome back Dr. Scott Minton to talk about heart health because we are in February and it is heart health month. And Scott and I were actually just talking about how I really don't feel like heart health is at the forefront of most discussions when we talk about health and wellness these days. Yes, we're talking about diet. We're talking about exercise. Um, maybe we're talking a lot about blood sugar levels, which I'm so happy is part of the conversation and is more prevalent, but heart health is a big deal. And Scott is going to tell you why. And we're going to talk about what you can do day to day to really move that needle and improve your heart health. But like always, We like to start with the why, and I'd love for you, Scott, to just talk to us a little bit about how the heart works and what it looks like when your heart is functioning optimally and at, you know, at firing off all cylinders. Well, that's a, we could talk just about how the heart works for the next hour. Exactly. So give it like, give us the cliff notes. <laughs> it's, it's an incredibly fascinating organ. Um, if you think about it, where it all begins during embryology, it actually starts off as a tube and the tube twists and turns and kinks until it ends up being four chambers, two chambers on the top called atria two chambers on the bottom called ventricles. And the two chambers on the top are are essentially receiving chambers. They receive blood, then they squeeze a little bit and they pump the blood down to the bottom two chambers. And the bottom two chambers have more squeezing power. The left has more squeezing power than the right. And this is because you have to understand kind of what the heart's job is is its its job is to essentially receive the blood that's coming from the lungs and the body two different areas and then pump the blood to the lungs and to the body so for example just a really quick uh review of how this works 
the blood comes in into the heart from the body from from a top vein and a bottom vein this is called the superior vena cava and the inferior vena cava it's just like it's the, the top of your body is sort of your shoulders and your head the bottom of the body is the rest so this this blood that's been deoxygenated and used and needs to be sort of replenished comes into the top of the right side of the heart. So it comes into the little atria, it gets pushed down to the right ventricle, the right ventricle contracts and pushes the blood out to the lungs, both the left and the right side. So as we all know, the blood goes to the lungs to get reoxygenated. You drop off CO2 and you pick up oxygen. That comes then back to the heart. It comes into the top of the left side, left atria. It goes down to the bottom of the left side or the left ventricle. And the left ventricle is the one that cranks hard and pushes it out into the aorta, which then goes up to the top, top of your head and down through the central sort of down, down your back and then goes out to all the arteries. And if you think about your blood vessels, you've got about 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. And you might wonder, how does one little four-chambered, actually just one, one, that left ventricle, pump to 60,000 miles of blood vessels? And we, all, we only really have three pints of blood. Well, how does that work? Well, it works because most of those blood vessels are not open all, all, all the time. You're basically opening and closing blood vessels um, as you need it. You might notice sometimes your hands are kind of cool. And then sometimes your hands, you know, after exercising or doing something, your hands get really hot. Well, basically, that's just a function of a lot of the blood vessels going, you know, and I don't really need blood out here right now, so I'm closed. But then when you need it, they open up. And so blood gets shunted where you need it. You don't have, if we were, if all 60,000 miles were filled all the time, we'd look like bowling balls, just kind of rolling around. We'd just be full of blood. But that's sort of the blood flow through the heart. And then how the heart actually contracts is fascinating because um, we've all heard, you know, the heartbeat and the EKG. And we can talk more about that, kind of what happens. But it all starts up in the top of your heart. There's little specialized, two little groups of cells um, called the AV node, the atrioventricular node, and the SA node, the sinoatrial node. And the heartbeat starts up there in the AV node and the pulse when, the, when you sort of get the heartbeat, it starts in the AV node, it goes down to the SA node. Basically, the, the heart starts to contract from the top down. But it's interesting because the atria contract together. Now, those, those little chambers that are filled with blood, either from the body or for the lungs, contract, push the blood down into the ventricles. But if you think about it, if... If, if the bottom of the heart contracted, just like you squeeze your hands around a bag, it, it, the blood wouldn't go up as it's supposed to because the blood has to go down and then up. So the way it works is the atria contract. And then there's a little group of cells to go right down the center of the heart through the, 
the connective tissue uh, wall that separates the left and the right side, it goes down and then the contraction actually starts from the bottom up. And so the heart squeezes, it's like you put your, your palms together and you squeeze upwards. And so the, the contraction then goes straight down through the center and then goes spreads upwards so that the heart contracts from the bottom up, pushing blood up and out either to the lungs or to the body. And so it's a very, very interesting and very complex thing. And so we can talk about, you know, people that may have had um, or heard about arrhythmias or sort of problems with your heartbeat. You can talk about atrial arrhythmias or something that there's a, some, something going on with the upper part of the heart that doesn't contract together or something. And then we can have ventricular arrhythmias, something that's happening at the bottom, maybe something that's a problem with the, pat, with the signal going down or maybe as it goes up through, through the muscles. So the heart itself is incredibly complicated, incredibly timed to be perfectly, you know, every beat from before you're born till you die, it's just consistent, boom, 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 boom. And so to look at then how it actually works on a cellular level, how these little cardiac muscle cells act because they act quite differently than your skeletal muscle cells are the ones you can think about moving, you know, the ones in your arms and your legs. And even the smooth muscle, which are also different, those are the ones that surround your organs and surround your blood vessels. Those act similarly, but differently. So your heart muscle cells, because they're, they're, they, they are present in such a unique organ, they have to work quite differently. So they have to act like a muscle, but they also have to carry an electrical charge through them, which is fascinating. And so the whole thing is just an amazing system, incredibly balanced system, both structurally and functionally. And so to take care of your heart, it's, it's something that we all need to think about throughout our whole life, just to make sure this thing keeps going. Yeah. I mean, well, first, first of all, Scott, a plus plus for that great presentation on how the heart works. Cause I'm picturing my, like my notebook from college where I have the arrows going all different places. And so first off, bravo and hats off for that. Um, but what I hear a lot is muscle contraction, yeah. right? Like we have, we, our heart needs to be contracting in order for it to work. So I'm curious what can lead, obviously, right? The disruption we're talking about arrhythmias in muscle contraction, but what can lead to your heart not functioning optimally? Obviously, we hear about blockages and things like that. So, just like an overview um, of what can bring us to that point. Yeah, you're talking about two things there, really, very, very generally. One is the basic mechanism of how the heart works. You know, how do the cells work? The other part of it, and it's very important, and this is where a lot of people have trouble, and you may have heard of a family member or so forth that have a coronary bypass or whatever, is because the heart has to work so hard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never gets a day off, the nutrient and oxygen supply to the heart through the coronary arteries is critical. 
And that's where a lot of people end up happening there through lifestyle or genetics or a combination of both that those supply routes to the heart muscle, the coronary arteries, start becoming occluded or blocked off, lessening the ability to provide oxygen and nutrients. And a heart attack is simply you're trying to beat, but you're not getting any oxygen and nutrients and the heart stops beating because it can't, it doesn't have any more fuel basically. And so the, the problem with that, of course, is that without oxygen, without nutrients, just like any other part of your body, if you put a rubber band around your finger and leave it for a while, guess what happens? Your finger turns black and uh, it's uh, the cells up there might die. And that's the same thing which happens to the heart. And unfortunately, even when, let's just say you, you have an occlusion and then that vessel may open back up and you get a flood of blood coming in, that can also be a bit of a problem. It's called a, a basically a, an ischemia reperfusion injury. Ischemia means a lack of oxygen. Reperfusion means, okay, here comes the blood again. And what happens, though, is when you sort of cut off a blood vessel for a little while, the cells start having trouble and they start shooting out all these chemicals saying, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. And a lot of those are pro-inflammatory because inflammation is, is, the, is the way our body responds to being in trouble. It's a way to fix things initially. And so when you basically cut that blood off and then let it back in really quick, all these inflammatory mediators start flying in there and start affecting normal, healthy cells. And so you actually can cause, by fixing something, you can actually cause inflammation. So what's the solution? You try your hardest throughout your life to never be in that situation. Yeah. Either. And that's, that. I was going to say, that's probably my next question. What would you say, Scott, and we talked about this as well before we started recording there are so many heart healthy tips out there, right? And we're so thankful for all of them, but I would love to hear from you. What are your top lifestyle tips? If there were tips to really move the needle for people and be the most effective. And if people could leave this, you know, listening to this podcast episode with just a few things, what would be your top lifestyle tips for people to start incorporating to improve their heart health and, and just maintain it too. Right. So like we were talking about before, I don't find it's part of the, you know, current wellness conversation a lot of the time, Yep. but we need to at least make sure that things we're doing on a daily basis are just maintaining and supporting our heart health. Right. Um, because the heart is, is so very complex, um, the way the muscles are put together, the way the electrical um, conductivity happens, um, the way the blood flow goes in and out and needs to be maintained. The best thing to do, and, and what's nice is what's good for your heart is good for everything else. Why? Because they are cells, okay? They are cells, however, that are highly metabolically active. And what does that mean? They, they need fuel. They need to function in a very, very delicate balance. 
And basically the way the heart works at a foundational level is through both membranes, because they have these little channels in membranes that allow things like sodium and potassium, magnesium and calcium to move back and forth across the membrane. And because these minerals are charged, that's what helps with the whole conduction of the electrical impulse through the heart. So number one, it's are your membranes structured properly? And remember what are membranes made out of? Fat. So are we taking in the right fats to build membranes, number one? Are we taking in the right protein to build all these little channels? And then are we consuming a good spectrum of minerals every single day so that your heart can say, hey, I've got enough calcium, I've got enough magnesium, I've got enough chloride, I've got enough sodium. I don't have too much, I don't have too little. I have just enough to run everything. So foundational nutrition. I know it's not exciting for a lot of people, but it actually is very exciting because through doing simple things like taking a multivitamin, multimineral, making sure you get enough protein, making sure you're getting enough EPA and DHA and other appropriate fatty acids to build cells allows you to build a foundation for your heart, for the cardiovascular system, because remember, your whole blood vessel system, your arteries and veins are all just cell-lined tubes surrounded by muscle for the most part which are made out of cells too, and they have to contract appropriately. So when it comes to blood pressure, it's the same thing. Cell membranes using little channels to move little ions in and back, back and forth so that the muscle cells can contract, which goes around blood vessels to make them tighter and then relaxing to make them wider. And so, you know, if you ever do develop a problem, you know, let's say you have an arrhythmia or whatever, and you go to the doctor and they do a check on you and they find that you have a foundational nu nutrition level. You're taking a multivitamin and mineral, you're taking fish oil, you, you're, you're not eating a lot of, you know, burned out, highly cooked fats. You know, you're getting a lot of vegetables. They, their problem, their their, their work is so much easier because they're working on a known solid platform. And if they're working from a known solid platform, it's a lot easier to say, oh, you know, this window is a little crooked. I can just kind of work to fix that. It's not, holy heck, where do I start? Because everything is off and I have nothing to stand upon. So foundational nutrition is critical from the time you're born till the time you die. And it's okay if we blow it every once in a while, but foundational multivitamin, multimineral, fish oil, probiotics, all these things that go to build normal functioning cells that supply all the components through which normal cells work, especially highly metabolic ones, or, or ones that require lots of fine tuning, like the arteries and veins that have to relax and contract, relax and contract. That is foundational. And then, of course, getting enough exercise. And you might go, why? 
because that also gets blood going to your heart muscle. It goes blood going to your liver to help clean it out. It helps get blood going to all your skeletal muscles to make sure they're all working. So all the blood vessels don't get so contracted for so long that they actually kind of get a little sticky and don't open up quite so readily. And so it's actually using all the things that you have. And again, you need all these foundational nutrients initially just to make sure everything is running properly. And so if we do have a genetic issue or if we have a little enzyme that's not working quite so um, efficient as it should, or maybe we don't clean, you know, fatty acids off the walls of our arteries quite as elegantly as other people do. Well, then it's a lot easier to fix and it's a lot easier to figure out. Um, So I would say my number one thing Eat right and take your vitamins and fish oil and exercise. And you hear that from everyone. Why? Because if you go down to the cellular level, you see how all these cells are made and how they work. It's insanely complex. And it's a lot easier to allow your body to work as it should instead of then trying to throw a drug at it because a drug will force some of these little channels um, on these heart cells and other places to work in a certain way, or it'll force an enzyme to work in a certain way. And that might be needed, but you know, at some point, if you've done all that you can, if your body's doing all that you can, you may need less drug. You may need it for only a short time. You you may be able to then figure out, okay, what's wrong? I can change this through dietary or supplementation by tweaking it a little bit here and there. Instead of going in and ending up like so many people with 15 different drugs and with 30 different side effects and a, a negative spiral that is very difficult to get out of. And it, you know what I always think about too, Scott, it's like, it's really disheartening because whenever you're put on a drug, there's something that's again, out of your control, those side effects are out of your control. You feel like your health isn't in your control. And when we talk about adding things to your diet, right. Or adding exercise, those are all things in your control. So I hope everyone also feels empowered that we are giving you things that you can control, but it's up to you to make it happen. Um, I want to unpack a little bit, some of your recommendations. So first diet wise, you were saying, Scott, like making sure you're getting enough protein, enough EPA and DHA, right. Or enough omega threes. What does enough look like? You know, because someone could be sitting there and they're like, Oh, you know, I have my one egg at breakfast (laughs) and they think that that's enough. And we live in a wondrous time nowadays. Um, 50 years ago, that question we couldn't really answer with certainty. But what we found over the last 50 years is that there are very simple tests, finger prick tests, where you prick your finger, you put a little blood on a card and you send it in. And they look at the fatty acids that are sitting in your red blood cell membranes. Now, the nice thing about red blood cell membranes is that because you replace them every three months, your whole red blood cell system, 
Um, these red blood cells are an indicator of what we are eating. So if we eat, let's say some EPA and DHA, we start seeing them in the red blood cell membranes as we start building more red blood cells. And because red blood cells are cells like other cells, their membranes are another indicator of what's going into your brain or your heart or your liver or your blood vessels. Now, what's been interesting since about the 1960s, though one of the first studies on, let's just say, fish oil and cardiovascular disease was done by a Norwegian um, researcher called uh, Jorn Dyerberg, and he did a study on um, Eskimos or in Inuits. And what he discovered was these people ate a lot of fat, a lot of blubber, seal, whale, you know, a lot of protein and fat, but they had very low incidence of cardiovascular disease. And he compared that to other populations and was shocked that, to see these people who ate so much fat had so little cardiovascular disease. But he also saw that their intake of the fish oil, EPA and DHA, was very high. And over the years, we have seen study after study after study after study. In fact, big, gigantic studies are still coming out because there's actually still some controversy on how important these fish oil fats are to cardiovascular disease. And cardiovascular disease is a huge topic, you know, everywhere from coronary artery disease, you know, the arteries that may be occluded to a um, be a, and be linked to heart attacks, to high blood pressure, to arrhythmias, to, you know, the risk of dying suddenly from some sort of cardiac event. So this is a, the whole field of cardiovascular health is huge. But what people have found in general over time is that if you get your blood your, the measure of these EPA and DHA fats in red blood cells up to a certain point, it's very protective against all sorts of cardiovascular problems. Um, and we've also seen studies that show as more fish oil you take, the lower your blood pressure goes. It's a one-to-one, -one. it's called dose-dependent. As I increase my dose of fish oil, my blood pressure goes down. And that's been consistent also. And so you might ask, well, how much is how much? Well, it's going to be different on everybody because we all have different diets. We all have different hormones, stress, whatever. But in general, if you take one of these little blood tests, the, you know, the one that's popular right now is called the omega-3 index. It's just, again, you look at your red blood cell fatty acids. And if you have a level of eight or more on a scale of zero to, I think it's 16, if you have a level of eight or more, you're in the sort of green range, the good range. If you're below that, okay, you, you may want to consider eating more to get up into the green range. Now, how much do you need to consume to get into that area? Um, again, this, if you eat a can of sardines a day, probably uh, you'll have to eat less EPA and DHA in supplemental form than other people. Or if you eat salmon, you know, kind of not super cooked salmon uh, three times a week. So it's going to vary for everybody. That's why it's good to take a cheap little test. 
But um, for most people, it's going to be between two to three or four grams of EPA plus DHA a day, not total fish oil. But if you look in the back of the bottle, it'll say EPA, so many milligrams, DHA, so many milligrams. You add those milligrams together and it should be 2,000 to 3,000 a day. And that is generally enough to get you up into that range. But you really need to test to find out. And then, you know, sometimes your diet and your body says, hey, I don't need to buy so much. Hey, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, you always you always want to start with getting tested. And I love that you said it's, even though the goal may be two to four grams a day, that's in combination with your food. So if you are eating a yeah. lot of salmon or like you said, you know, I don't know too many people eating cans of sardines, but maybe you're making, you know, some homemade Caesar dressing and you're putting at least two or three sardines in there. Like it all just adds up over time, but you do want to test yourself. Now, what about protein, Scott? I know I have my own thoughts on typically, I will say based on the research for clients, I try to get people at least for meals at least, you know, 25 grams of protein at most meals, depending on two though, as you age, we don't tend to, uh, absorb and take in that protein as well. So it can increase then. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on, on protein. Yeah. Uh, to me, it boils down to two things. Well, a couple, a couple of things. One thing you noted was sufficient amount, particularly based on your exercise level. Um, and the second thing is a broad spectrum of amino acids. Okay. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times we, and I am guilty of this, we get down to our, we have our favorite foods, you know, let's say I eat chicken and I hate fish or I love fish and I don't like Turkey and I don't like eat beef for whatever reason. And I don't have, you know, I don't, take in nuts and seeds because I just don't take in nuts and seeds. And so anyway, <clears throat> having a super broad spectrum of protein is very important. And this is particularly um, relevant when it comes to the cardiovascular system, because remember vessels are not only surrounded by um, muscles, but they're also surrounded by connective tissue, which is made up of collagen which supports the muscles and the vessels. And collagen needs very specific amino acids, particularly glycine and proline. Mm -hmm. And without those two, without sufficient amounts, you cannot make collagen. You simply can't. And therefore, you might have areas of blood vessels that may be a little weak and they may bulge and be a little be less efficient and all sorts of things. And so from your skin to your blood vessels, it's very important to build collagen, which boils down to your type of protein you're consuming. And then as, as you noted, as we get older, we often digest less efficiently, and that's often due to a lack of hydrochloric acid. <clears throat> and that's a super simple, easy fix. You simply eat hydrochloric acid with your meal, depending on how much you need. I personally do it. My wife does it. Why? Because you get to the point where you're not making it enough. And hydrochloric acid is not only important for helping to um, initially start to digest things, but it activates 
the enzymes that are released from your pancreas to cut up proteins. And remember, proteins are just big strings of amino acids, and you have to cut them all up so that they can get across your gut wall. And so the importance of activating your pancreatic enzymes, um, because you don't want to activate them inside your pancreas or they'll digest your pancreas. So they're released into your intestines, hydrochloric acid hits them, it knocks off these little protective ends, and then they become active and start chewing things up. And so getting enough hydrochloric acid as, you know, past the age of 40 is critically important so that you maintain muscle mass, um, can digest protein, can absorb the protein you are taking in, and therefore um, support your, your muscles from your cardiac muscles, your smooth muscles, your skeletal muscles, um, your collagen production, your elastin production, your ability to make enzymes. Enzymes are made out of amino acids hooked together. So the, the requirement for protein goes so far above just muscles. It goes to all the little enzymes you need to run all these metabolic processes. And then, you know, you've got muscle, uh, you've got proteins inside all your muscle cells, the contractile proteins that shorten. And, you know, when you work out, sometimes you break those and you need to fix them. And so you got to, you need more amino acids to make more proteins. So protein is incredibly important, constantly broad spectrum, digest it properly, and then um, get a diverse type and array. It's like our vegetables, right? To help feed our our gut. We want to diversify. I'm curious, Scott, for anyone listening and they're like, oh, maybe I want to start taking hydrochloric acid. Do you take it just in supplement form before a meal, just so they can picture how they would do it? Yeah, the way I have classically recommended, um, it's it's in a form called betaine hydrochloric acid. It's it's really cheap. And you know, you might wonder, do I even need it? One of the classic signs is, you know, after a meal, you just feel full for a while. Now that can come from a diff, you know, it could come from a food allergy, you're actually getting a little inflammation, or it could be coming from, I'm just not digesting my food. Or you may have bouts of diarrhea or constipation because this food that goes into your intestine is not being digested. And so it's being acted upon by gut bacteria and things are happening that shouldn't. And therefore, your intestines are trying to tell you, hey, uh, we need some help here. So um, if you have any of those kind of symptoms, like a fullness that continues, um, you know, you may have diarrhea, constipation, flatulence, whatever. One thing to try is hydrochloric acid, especially if you're after 40. And one of the easiest ways to do it is simply do this. At the end of the meal, you take one hydrochloric acid tablet, let's just say it's 250 milligrams. If everything happens, okay. Um, The next meal you take two. And let's say after you take two at the end of the meal, not before, at the end of the meal, um, you get this little regurgitation like acid reflux. Then you go, oh, that was too much, but 250 milligrams, one tablet was just fine. So from here on out, I'm just going to pop one with every meal. 
And you might then watch yourself. Is my feeling of fullness now, gosh, am I, if, am I feeling like I have an empty stomach or um, uh, I'm less bloated? Uh, uh, and gosh, my intestines are running more smoothly um, in, in all sorts of ways. Then you might say, mm, uh, okay, that's an that's easy fix. The other way to do it is simply you can actually get a stool test too. Those are more expensive. But that will also tell you whether or not you're actually cranking out enough hydrochloric acid. So there's the simple way and the more uh, complex, expensive way. But I found that, especially after 40, almost everyone starts losing their hydrochloric acid. And then the question becomes, well, you know, I've got, I think I've got acid reflux. Um, doesn't that mean I need to shut off my hydrochloric acid? Usually it's the, it's the opposite. And, for oh most. my gosh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because remember, if you shut off your hydrochloric acid, then your pancreatic enzymes are not being activated and you have all these downstream effects. So hydro, acid reflex can often come from two major places. One, it could be a defective sphincter, F the top of your stomach. If that sphincter isn't closing tight enough, then you can leak hydrochloric acid from your stomach up into your esophagus. And that's not good. That's a structural issue. Okay. That could be damage. It could be genetics. It could be something, but that needs to be ruled out a structural issue. Sometimes, however, it's an infection. It's an H. pylori infection in your stomach, or it's not enough hydrochloric acid. Mm -hmm. So you actually start getting fermentation and gas being produced in your stomach. And of course, as the gas builds up, it kind of poop goes up through the sphincter and squirts a little acid into your esophagus. And you think, oh, I've got acid reflux. No, you've got fermentation or an infection in your stomach. And so that, that's another easy way. There, there's an easy breath test also for H. pylori. Mm -hmm. You can see if you're cranking out urea. So that's an easy thing a doctor can give you, a breath test. And so there's lots of different ways to figure out what's going on in your stomach. But figuring that out, having a stomach that's working well, a digestive system that's working well, allows all these nutrients to get into you appropriately to feed your cardiovascular system, feed all your other systems so that you have a, found, a level of foundational health that is strong. And so if anything does go wrong, it's a lot easier to figure out and fix. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a very big common misconception while you're pregnant as well. And you think you're having all this acid reflux and you actually need more acid. Um, exactly. But getting back to Scott, I'm curious to... I'm glad we went over omega-3s and protein. In terms of exercise, are there certain types of exercise that are more supportive for your heart than others? Um, actually, what's fascinating is um, there's been some studies that show, of course, you know, cardio is good. Why is cardio good? Because it puts a stress on your cardiovascular system over time, which means your heart has to pump um, harder. So it builds up just like any other muscle. It also 
causes, you know, your vessels to work out. So you're actually getting vasoconstriction and vasorelaxation. So they become actually more pliable. They become more sensitive to the constriction and relaxation. Um, but what's fascinating is also there's been some research that shows intense or hot, short bursts of high intensity exercise can be just as effective to the cardiovascular system than the 45 minutes of cardio. So, you know, you get on your bike and, uh, or you do the wind sprints, um, you do this super intense short burst over and over and over and over with rest in between. That can also be very effective. So what's, what's great about exercise is there's not just one type. You can mix it up. You can do different forms on different days. You can um, you know, do weight training one day. Um, you can do cardio in one form or the other on, on another day. But it's, it's, you know, the cardiovascular system is like any other system. You stress it, given the appropriate amount of nutrients, it will take that stress and adapt. And just like your skeletal system, why do we have osteoporosis when we get older? A lot of times it's lack of exercise and it's insufficient hormones. Why is it insufficient exercise? Because bones are strengthened when muscles pull on them. Muscles pull, the bone goes, oh my gosh, I've got to get stronger over here. So it starts building there. And when you're constantly doing, you know, weight bearing exercise, lifting weights, you're yanking on your bones, you're making them stronger. When you're sitting around working on your computer, um, watching TV all the time, your bones are going, I'm not being pulled on. I can use this calcified material other places and so your bones hollow out in effect and so every system in your body adapts to stress and so our job is is to stress them appropriately but supply all the nutrients it needs to repair adapt work on a daily basis and um yeah i was gonna say scott i think it's important for people to remember too when we just hear the term cardio, you know, we immediately think about running, biking, but it's really anything where you're getting your heart rate up. So, Hey, guess what? You can be lifting weights. And if you're doing them at a faster pace or a higher intensity and you feel, I mean, right. We can feel when our heart rates up, we can feel when our hearts working faster, that is cardio. So like Scott, Scott said, it's more, so it's like, pick what forms of movement you like to do and try to incorporate those more. But as long as you got that, you know, you're raising your heart rate and you got, you can feel your heartbeat moving faster. Yep. You're helping your heart. If you can feel, it's almost like if you feel your heart, you know, you're helping it more. Yeah. And so it's martial arts. So is tennis. So, you know, name name your game that you love to play. So you just may have to, I guess, you know, maybe some like, let's say you love yoga. Well, maybe start to incorporate some more power yogas or flow yogas where, I mean, some yogas like wipe me out. Like the the intensity is high. So start to look at some of those movements and where you can kick it up a notch. But if you can feel that heart rate going up, you are working it well. Um, my last question, Scott is 
Are there any other, we talked a lot about different nutrients, but are there any other specific supplements people can take? Because there are so many, I feel like heart healthy supplements out there. And I always get the question of, well, which one should I at least start with or be taking? I know I always think about CoQ10 first, um, because it's supplying that energy to all your cells, but I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, if someone's taking their omega threes or getting enough in through diet and supplementation, getting the right amount of protein, exercising, you know, give me your top support nutrients around those for heart health. I think my first one above and beyond the foundational stuff, I would take some extra magnesium and magnesium is fascinating. Um, when, when you actually look at how it works on a cellular level, because you talked about CoQ10, which is um, used in the mitochondria to make energy. Well, magnesium is also used. It actually connects to the energetic molecule, ATP. And you cannot use ATP without magnesium hooked onto it. And so it is critical especially for all these highly metabolically active heart cells to have sufficient amounts of magnesium. And magnesium is also critically important for the muscle cells that surround blood vessels to appropriately relax and contract. That whole mechanism has to do with magnesium. How does it do it? Well, it influences these little channels that led, again, the calcium ions into the muscle cells. Calcium has a lot to do with muscle contraction, and it has a lot to do with modulating how much calcium gets in, where it flows to, and so forth. The same thing for heart conduction, the actual heart beat. Magnesium actually influences those little channels on the heart muscle that allow the sodium ions and the calcium ions to flow back and forth, allowing the heartbeat to actually happen and, and, and how it, how it's actually shaped, if you will, because you remember, you see your little heartbeat, there's a little P wave and a QRS and then a little T wave, you know, the EKG boop, boop. And so anyway, That's formed by all these little channels, opening and shutting, opening and shutting, letting things in and out. And magnesium is intimately involved in helping to modulate all that just right. So above and beyond your basic foundational nutrients, protein, fish oil, multivitamin, mineral, some extra magnesium, because most people are actually short on magnesium. And therefore, then thinking about the form of magnesium. That's really good. Um, the one that's really good for your brain, for example, is magnesium threonate. It tends to get across the blood-brain barrier. Magnesium glycinate is one that's just, you know, it's good for it, everything. <laughs> good for everything, yeah. But it's actually it's it, it actually can be used easily in muscles, and so it's a form that can actually be used by your body. Um, and then after that, in CoQ10, again, it's not only good for energy, it actually gets in the, the particles in your blood, these lipoprotein particles, like you've heard of LDL and HDL and VLDL, it actually gets into those and helps to protect those fats 
from being oxidized or changed <clears throat> because the problem, once those fats get damaged, they get stuck into your vessel walls, like your, again, your coronary artery walls, and then can start the process of atherosclerosis because you get this, these broken fats start building up in the walls and you get these yellow fatty streaks that then start bulging out and bulging out as you add more and more and more and your body can't clean it up. And so to head that off right at the beginning, fish oil to make sure your membranes are working correctly, CoQ10 to actually help to uh, protect those damaged fats in the, within the blood system, within the LDL particles and the BLDL. And then just a good spectrum of anti, um, antioxidants. Why? Because once again, when you have metabolically active cells like the heart, it creates a lot of waste. And waste is usually um, oxidative stress, these little molecules that can bang into other membranes and proteins and break them. So anti, uh, magnesium actually acts as an antioxidant in, in um, heart cells but you have all sorts of other antioxidants that are very good. And you can almost pick your ones, you know, well, that's where it's like, Scott, it goes back to eat the rainbow. Yep. Right. The yep. simple eat the rainbow. There's your, if you're like, well, what antioxidants do I take in? Well, it's yep. good to have a diverse amount. And so making sure that you're getting lots of colorful fruits and vegetables and something too, about CoQ10 that I always find interesting too. So for everyone listening, we make CoQ10, our bodies make it, but as we get older, we're not as efficient at making it. And then even on top of that, if you're on any cholesterol lowering drugs, it actually blocks our body synthesis of making Co CoQ10 and CoQ10 energizes our cells. I mean, some people even tout it's got, I mean, sometimes we use the term antioxidant so much, but some people even tout CoQ10 as the most powerful antioxidant your body could have at its disposal in terms of energizing those cells, but it's one that that's another one that's like never talked about. I mean, yeah. unless, unless you are going to your doctor and you are ha having the heart health conversation and they're possibly recommending it, but I find even most doctors, it's not even on their list. Usually you go to the hospital or you go to the doctors for, any type of heart condition or anything where you need to improve your heart health, what's the first thing they say? Limit the salt. Limit the salt. Did, did you hear us talk about salt at all today, except for in a positive way, making sure you're getting enough sodium? Exactly. It's making sure that we're adding things to our diet and not just focusing on the one little thing to take it away. Because I, I mean, I know you still go to the hospital now. That's the, the, the sheet of paper. They, I mean, they even, that's the sheet of paper. They give dietitians to hand to patients is the paper with the big salt shaker on top. And it says, limit your salt intake. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, we could there's talk for hours on that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of research and most, the most of the early concern there was when you eat salt a lot. And you have to remember, and your kidneys are not eliminating it fast enough. So it's really a kidney problem. It's not a heart problem. It causes water to accumulate in your blood because water uh, is attracted to the salt. 
which kind of swells your blood vessels up, which increases your blood pressure. So it's really a, a blood pressure concern. However, there's been a lot of research over the last 20 years saying that, you know what? It may not be that simple. Mm -hmm. um, and we may not be getting even enough sodium sometimes because yep. we've cut so much out. So you really, it's more, are you a salt sensitive person? That's the question to ask your doctor. Do you have a genetic makeup that makes you incredibly sensitive? Or are you salt insensitive? I mean, mm -hmm. so we have these genetic capabilities that may make us may make our blood vessels more sensitive or less sensitive may be our kidneys may be very efficient or less efficient and so, with people on a lower a lot of people on a lower carbohydrate diet these days well we actually retain less sodium so i actually find with most clients they need sodium so we're yep. putting in extra magnesium sodium potassium into their diet yep. and they're much more hydrated they're retaining you know, their water and they're feeling better too. They're feeling energized. Um, and if there's anything, and I'm curious, Scott, if you agree, if there's anything, I think people should limit when it comes to heart health based on the new research, right? Cause the old research was always like, try, you know, try to lessen your salt intake would be to watch your sugar intake oh, because that's inflaming, right? That's bringing more inflammation and that's what they're connecting blood pressure to, right? Increased, you know, increased blood pressure is now the salt's less part of the conversation, but now it's more about your sugar levels. And that includes any carbohydrate turns into sugar in your body. So don't just think about, oh, well, I don't eat sweets and, um, you know, candy and cookies, things like that. No, no, no. It includes, you know, yes, fruit, but fruits, not so much, but it includes your breads, your pastas, your rice, anything that's a carbohydrate you can think of enters your body as sugar, as glucose. So if there's anything to limit, focus more on your, you know, simple carbohydrates, um, and some of those simple sugars instead of trying to really just focus on limiting your salt. Agreed. Yes. All right, Scott. I, you know, there, I, there's so many other things we could talk about when it comes to heart health, but I love that. I feel like we are really giving people a few things to focus on that are tangible that you can do every day. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you would like to add in? No, I think we've covered the a lot of the general approach and it's, again, it's foundational nutrition um, because particularly for very active metabolically active cells, you want to provide them um, resources and you want to protect your blood vessels. Remember you've got 60,000 miles of them you have to take care of and they have to stretch, particularly your big ones have to stretch because you're, heart is cranking blood at an incredible pressure to get it out there. So they need to have the appropriate nutrients to build and repair um, and, and maintain these for your entire life. So think bottom up, think foundational nutrition first, exercise um, things. And then if we want to go into really more detail, we can really dig into the weeds on and a later talk. Yeah, no, it, it it's what it all starts with that foundation and building that house and making sure 
the foundation is laid out correctly. And in a way too, that you're going to be able to build that big, beautiful house that is working optimally. Um, well, Scott, you know, we love to do a little rapid fire at the end of our podcast. So I have some new questions for you. And first one is what's your favorite way to unwind from the day? Well, that's a good question. Um, I usually, uh, the first thing I usually do, and I used to do this as uh, when I was a professor too, I would just close the door, close the windows, shut the blinds, and just turn my brain off for a little while. It doesn't take long. It just takes a few minutes. But just to let the peace to enter your brain, you can almost feel the busyness of the day start to relax and, 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 and start to go away. So that's usually the first thing I do. Sounds like your little meditation. I like it. Yeah. Um, what's your bedtime? Uh, generally around 11. Uh, go to snack. Ooh. Um, it's either celery and carrots or a little handful of mixed raw nuts. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming back on. I'm sure we will see your face again soon, but if you have any questions for Scott about today's podcast, make sure to leave them in the comments below and we will get them to him, which Scott, I have a few that we need to discuss after this recording, but thanks so much for coming on and we will see you next time. This week's actionable step is to first look at your foundational health to support your heart. For example, Are you consuming enough omega-3s and protein to support your age and lifestyle? And what about exercise? Are you incorporating movements that get your heart rate up most days of the week? Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our podcast episodes on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on the air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.